Welcome to Wiley Connected. Today's episode will focus on robocalling and recent developments in Congress, including the TRACED Act and at the Federal Communications Commission. There's a lot going on on robocalling, and we wanted to provide an explainer and cut through the noise of what you may be hearing in the press. I'm pleased to have with me here in Studio W, Kevin Rupi, who's a partner of mine here at Wiley and was formerly with U.S. Telecom, running point on their robocalling work, including the industry traceback group. We also have Kat Scott, who's an associate here in our TMT group at Wiley, who helps tons of clients with TCPA compliance, robocalling policy, and various federal privacy and uh, technology issues. So we're going to just dive in and jump to what sort of brought us here. And what are we here to talk about, Kat? Yeah, so the big news is that Congress passed TRACED, um, which is technically known as the Pallone Soon Telephone Robocall Abuse Criminal Enforcement and Deterrence Act. The adoption of the law is notable, one, because it's highly substantive and comprehensive. And in the current political environment, we're not seeing many of those types of bills get through. But the other reason that TRACED is notable is because it's going to really start a pretty massive flood of regulatory activity, mainly at the FCC, but throughout the federal government, looking at illegal robocalls. And this activity, I think, is going to implicate every player in the ecosystem. So from call originators to voice service providers, analytics engines, consumers, state and federal government actors, you name it. So that is sort of what brings us here. And I think what Kevin is going to help us understand is how we got to this spot. Well, we got to this spot. First of all, I want to say how thrilled I am to be on my first Wiley Connect podcast. Welcome to Studio W, Kevin. Very exciting. Very exciting. (laughs) And the reason we're here and the reason Trace happened and passed uh, so overwhelmingly is that apparently robocalls are a big problem. Uh, And they are. When you look at the data points that are out there regarding this issue, it's a huge problem. There's certainly many questions around the exact number of, say, illegal robocalls or unwanted robocalls. Well, wait a second. So illegal robocalls, right? That's something to keep in mind. Not all robocalls are illegal, right? That is absolutely right. And that gets lost in the noise sometimes. And and you start breaking down into those categories of illegal, which are the scammy, we're from the IRS, you know, pay us in Amazon gift cards. Oh, you mean like this? Hello, this call is officially a final notice from IRS, Internal Revenue Service. The reason of this call is to inform you that IRS is filling a lawsuit on your name because... You had tried to do a fraud with the IRS Internal Revenue Service and we are taking a legal action and we are issuing an arrest warrant on your name. To get more information regarding this case file, just call us back on our department number. Thank you. Exactly, yes. But those unwanted calls, even though consumers may not like them, political robocalls, survey calls, they're still legal. But when you look at some of the data points on just purely illegal scamming calls, I think it's safe to say and fair to say that there are billions per month that are just hammering consumers. And, you know, the the FCC in 2018 received just under 300,000 complaints. 
the FTC had close to 4 million complaints regarding robocalls. And those are just the complaints that are filed, right? I mean, that, that represents a small percentage of the actual calls. In addition to the FCC and FTC getting those complaints, up on the Hill, constituents are ringing the phones off the hook. Of ironically. Their elected, <laughs> uh, ironically. They're probably unwanted calls on the Hill as uh, well. Exactly. Right? <laughs> but, you know, that does kind of go to the bipartisan aspect of the Trace Act, right? I mean, you, you basically had a single dissenting vote in the Senate. Uh, you had, I think, three in the House. Robocalls, illegal robocalls, are a highly bipartisan issue. And I think that goes to Kat's earlier point, that that's why this legislation was so substantive and, you know, passed so quickly, particularly given the current environment. And I think just to be clear for the listener, there is a set of rules under the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, or the TCPA, that certainly applies to what's going on here. But the Traced Act is really less about that regulatory regime that Congress set up many years ago that the FCC and the FTC administer. And it's more about some of these technical aspects, empowering the FCC to take certain actions, nudging industry in a certain direction, and trying to address the actual problem that they perceive of robocalling. We could do a whole nother podcast on TCPA reform issues, of which there are many that are controversial um, in terms of sort of legal issues. But those are off to one side. And so, I, that is a great point, Megan, on that, that distinction between TCPA and TRACE. Yeah, to build off that, I think of Traced really as doing three main things. There are three main buckets that Traced sort of touches on. One of the buckets is sort of TCPA and truth and caller ID enforcement stuff. Uh, so bolstering some of the enforcement authorities that the FCC has under those statutes, but that's a really minor part of this law. And the biggest bucket really is on call authentication mandates. And that's more of the technical stuff that you were talking about, Megan. I mean, the vast majority of the bill deals with putting in place these call authentication frameworks, both for IP networks and for non-IP networks. And then the third bucket is really uh, this other category of um, regulatory activity and oversight of illegal robocalls. So in this bucket, you have stuff like industry traceback work. Pause for a second there. What does traceback mean to your average layperson? So traceback is a process whereby what listeners need to understand is that when a phone call gets made, when I call from my office in Washington, D.C. to somebody in California, that call is going to transit multiple networks from the point of origination to the point of termination. So if I'm a Verizon subscriber, Verizon starts the call, they originate the call, they may pass that to CenturyLink Level 3, who will then pass that to IntelliQuint, who will then pass it to West, where it will ultimately terminate with, say, AT&T. Each carrier in that call path currently can only see from where they got the call and to whom they sent it. So traceback is basically a process that enables industry to identify from where that call actually came. 
And that's what you were working on at U.S. Telecom with the Traceback Group? That is absolutely correct. And what started as a manual process, which was literally emails and phone calls and spreadsheets filling in this information, has now been automated. And the other thing we'll be talking about uh, a fair amount will be stir shaken, which is going to further enhance Traceback. Okay. Well, let's go to authentication then. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'll do a rundown of what Trace does in the authentication space first to get everybody on the same page. So the bill calls for voice service providers to establish call authentication processes. The specific call authentication requirements will vary based on the type of network we're dealing with. So for IP-based networks, the bill explicitly calls for stir-shaken, that protocol. For non-IP networks, even though Stirshaken does not work on non-IP or TDM networks, as Kevin will get into the details of in a bit, there's still going to be call authentication requirements and obligations on those networks. And this concept isn't brand new. I mean, industry's been working on Stirshaken for quite some time, right? I mean, we're not just, Congress didn't just make this up. Oh, absolutely. This has been going on for years through Addis and the SIP Forum, which are generally the standards bodies that help put that together. And to be clear for the listeners, you know, and we've been engaged in this for several years, the Federal Communications Commission has been deeply engaged with the bodies that Kevin just mentioned and promoting through regulatory action and public notices, encouraging carriers to deploy stir shaken. Um, as I recall, industry sped up the timelines that they were operating under to try and meet this. So this is not a, a new concept, uh, just so folks are aware. Congress didn't just make this up. And what I think is interesting in how Trace fits into what the commission has been doing and what industry has been doing for years on Shake and Stir is that Trace actually, I think, inserts a little bit of breathing room into a process that had been expedited quite some bit, especially this year. So back in June, the FCC put out a large item that dealt with call blocking and Shake and Stir implementation. And in that item, the FCC proposed that if industry did not voluntarily deploy Shake and Stir by the end of this year, by December 2019, then the FCC would would mandate that the Shake and Stir protocol be deployed. Traced does a similar thing. It says within 12 months of enactment of Traced, which is technically December 2020, if Shake and Stir or other call authentication deployment is not satisfactory, then the commission has to mandate Shake and Stir. And that mandate has to be in place within 18 months or June 2021. Whereas the commission back in June said, get this done by December or else we're going to mandate it. Trace says, get this done by the end of 2020 or else we're going to mandate it. So Kat, what happens to the carriers that don't have IP-based networks? Some of the smaller carriers I've read in public comments and we know, you know, may have some challenges doing this in a timely fashion. Um, What does Trace contemplate for them? Yeah, that's a good question. And It's a complicated structure. So for non-IP networks in general, the mandate is for those carriers to put in place reasonable measures to implement what they call an effective call authentication framework. What that is, is quite unclear to me, Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) 
Isn't that one of yeah. the many, many rulemakings yes. that yeah. the FCC has to one do? One of many, many rulemakings, uh, absolutely, and, and reports. Uh, but yeah, Kat, that's absolutely right. And I think the way you teed that up is spot on. And what's interesting about how Trace treats these non-IP networks is that basically Congress said, look, we're going to delay compliance for that type of call authentication standard until one has been developed for networks such as TDM, which is time division multiplexing. Think about it as your old-fashioned copper network. But what Congress also did, you know, that for all these companies out there that have significant TDM networks or exclusively on TDM, Congress didn't just absolve them of any responsibility whatsoever. So in other words, they basically said, look, we're going to delay implementation for call authentication on your networks until we come up with something. But until that time, you need to be doing something to prevent robocalls from originating on your network. So they have to implement what Congress termed, quote, an appropriate robocall mitigation program, close quote, to prevent those types of calls. Now, what exactly that is remains to be seen, and the FCC will initiate one of its many rulemakings to determine that. But I think what you're going to see out of the FCC are, are things along the lines of um, – active monitoring of their networks to look for suspicious call activities. I think you may see things uh, that are referenced elsewhere in the statute, like know your customer. So if somebody is going to originate calls from your network, who are they? Are, are they a company? Where are they based? Yeah, what what numbers of, are they assigned? And what is the purpose of their calling campaign? Bingo. I mean, that's been an interesting thing. I know we've seen Verizon do a lot on Know Your Customer. A lot of folks in the industry are, are doing that. So it's sort of like there's a parallel effort here. One is on the technical authentication side, and the other is on maybe the, the softer kind of Know Your Customer side of it. And I think that really speaks a lot to the broader robocall mitigation space. I mean, Trace is a big deal, and it, I think, moves the ball forward a lot. But the main focus of Trace really is on call authentication and shake and stir. And there are so many more things going on in robocall mitigation than call authentication um, from know your customer and trace back. Like we've talked about to uh, call blocking and labeling and filtering. There are so many tools out there. And I think part of the solution is going to have to be using all of them and not focusing on any one. Right. And I think, you know, that's a great point, Kat. And I'll tell you that when you look at industry and government stakeholders discussing the illegal robocall issue, they always talk about a holistic approach. Mm -hmm. there's, there's no silver bullet. There's no single thing that's going to solve the problem. It has to be a combination of approaches like call authentication, like deployment of consumer tools, like traceback, like increased enforcement. So it's going to take a series of things and approaches and, and measures to really truly put a dent in this problem. Well, and one thing I think, since we've been working on Shake and Stir for a few years now, one thing that we regularly would point out to the commission and to others is that 
you know, sh deploying shake and stir in the United States is good, but it's not going to fix the entire problem because a lot of the call originators, the bad guys, so to speak, are not here in the United States. And if their country's telecom systems don't support shake and stir, it's going to be a partial solution. And I think Chairman Pai at the FCC has acknowledged that. And I think they will, in the International Bureau and some of the other efforts, be pushing their global counterparts to do this as well. That's a great point, Megan. And, you know, as of right now, I think Canada is the only other country that has affirmatively stated that they're seeking to deploy uh, Shake and Stir. So let's move on, Kevin. There are a lot. So I think I counted up in the Trace Act in some of our handy materials that we've created, um, 11 or so reports that have to be generated, maybe 20 plus rulemaking, several working groups and best practices. <laughs> um, you wanna talk a little bit about working groups? <laughs> <laughs> well, indeed, I mean, look, the amount of activity that will be, and already is being generated by this, this new law is just off the charts, it's significant. And I imagine that there are many staffers at the FCC right now furiously writing away on NPRMs and public notices and things like that. But certainly with respect to the working groups, there are two working groups that are established under the TRACE Act. You have this hospital working group that focuses on illegal robocalls made to hospitals that can obviously cause public safety type problems. So they want to bring together industry stakeholders, government stakeholders to figure out what they can do in that space to address that. You have this DOJ interagency working group that I personally think is fascinating. I think that's going to cover a lot of ground. And that will bring in multiple federal agencies as well as other what Congress deemed, you know, relevant stakeholders like NAG, the National Association for Attorneys General, I suspect you're going to see industry involvement in those working groups. But then as you look further into the act, you do have a tremendous amount of, in some instances, one-off reports, but in many instances, ongoing annual reports that are be issued by the FCC. So these include annual reports from the Traceback Consortium, that is developed under the act, and that will be naming companies. That, and shaming, and, right? Yeah, <laughs> maybe, know, maybe. Maybe, you know. <laughs> but certainly putting those companies, profiling those companies that aren't supporting traceback. So that report's going to go out on an annual basis. There's reports on the role that certain VoIP providers may play in the robocall space. You saw last year, these series of letters that went out from the Enforcement Bureau to eight or nine companies that did not support traceback. So, you know, these reports are really going to further elevate, I think, some of the activity, industry activity that's taking place in this space. Digging in on those letters just a little bit more, I mean, the letters came from the Enforcement Bureau back in, I think it was the end of 2018. That sounds right. Um, yep. And the idea was that the FCC first sent letters, a letter to U.S. Telecom praising its work in traceback, and then to these providers who weren't necessarily super cooperative in traceback saying, get your act together. 
what was the impact of those? Did it help in cooperation with Traceback? Well, I will say at the time I was I was managing U.S. Telecom's Traceback group, and the day after those letters went out, my phone started ringing off the <laughs> hook from several, most of the companies that received those letters, uh, wanting to talk about, hey, how can we help? And I do think that those letters definitely put industry writ large on notice that, look, traceback is important, it's effective, and we need you, industry, to support these efforts. And I will say, I think, you know, certainly my experience with traceback has been that the vast majority of voice providers out there want to do the right thing. They want to support traceback efforts and find out who's originating these calls. But the fact of the matter is, there are a handful, Adrian Abramovich mm-hmm. and his testimony talked about the fact that there are a handful of providers who will take any and all calls that you can put onto their networks so they can blast them out to consumers. And those are the voice providers that we want to find. Um, Just to clarify for the listener, Adrian Abramovich, we all know him here in our rarefied nerd world of FCC and <laughs> robocalling, but he's a bad guy, right? Or an alleged bad guy. Do we have to say alleged? We'll uh, say alleged, alleged bad guy. Just He's got what, like an enforcement forfeiture of $120 million? $120 million for making approximately 100 million robocalls in the span of three months. And these calls, it was really interesting in that the calls he was generating were originating from, I believe, call centers in Mexico and they were purporting to be from companies like Travelocity, Hilton Hotels, Disney Resorts. None of those companies knew those calls. They certainly weren't making those calls, but Abramovich was. But yeah, the FCC hit him with a $120 million forfeiture and We'll see. They certainly want to collect on that, and I think every American consumer wants that money from Mr. Abramovich and uh, others. So, Kevin, this is really interesting because the government's not exactly ignoring all of this, right? There's been quite a bit of enforcement activity recently. Why don't you talk to us about some of the big cases recent? Sure, absolutely, Megan. And most definitely the government is not asleep at the switch. Uh, two agencies in particular have initiated some notable enforcement actions, Department of Justice, Federal Trade Commission. End of January, DOJ targeted, amongst others, two interconnected VoIP providers. And they allege in the civil suit, where they're seeking a temporary restraining order, they allege that these companies were acting as gateway providers that were basically ingressing high volumes of illegal robocalls. And you explained this really well to me earlier that, you know, the traffic can originate any place in the world, but at some point it has to hit the United States. That's Is that what a gateway carrier is for our listeners? That's exactly what a gateway carrier is, Megan. So they are the first point of entry into the United States for these illegal robocalls. So basically what the Department of Justice has alleged against these two companies, tollfreedeals.com and Global Voicecom, is that they basically accepted this traffic, put it onto the domestic U.S. network, and they have alleged that the companies basically were aware that this traffic was problematic. So, you know, amongst other things, they had 
received notifications from the industry traceback group, from other companies saying, there's a problem with this traffic, you need to do something about it, and you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I we're, mean, we're talking hundreds of millions of alleged robocalls. Well, <laughs> we're talking a lot. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the DOJ termed it uh, astronomical numbers. And, and one data point in, the, in one of the complaints against toll-free deals, DOJ saw their call detail records for a 23-day period, a single 23-day period. And during that period, toll-free deals basically took and passed north of 720 million robocalls and put those onto the network. So in any event, the the litigation recently initiated, we'll see what happens. I think this will be something to watch very closely because obviously industry and others have been calling for aggressive enforcement. And, you know, here we are starting 2020 with a pretty significant enforcement action. Yeah, I think from our perspective, right, it's about time that we've right. seen this dialing up. I mean, we'll see what the legal arguments end up shaking out. But, uh, exactly. It's a, exactly. It's a step in the right direction from a process perspective, at least. Exactly. So what's no. the other one? Well, so the other one, this started uh, actually earlier this summer in July 2019. The Federal Trade Commission, which has always been very active in the enforcement space on robocalls, Back in July, they filed a civil suit. They have civil authority against a number of alleged robocallers. But near the beginning of December of last year, they amended their complaint, and they named uh, an interconnected VoIP provider, Globex Communications. And what's interesting about that is that is the first time ever that the FTC has targeted an interconnected VoIP provider. Because for our listeners, what's important to note is that the FTC is subject to the common carrier exemption. And, you know, so they cannot bring cases against common carriers. Interconnected VoIP kind of operates in this gray area. They've always been sort of this weird (laughs) regulatory zombie or, you know, unclassified. Unclassified. And the FCC hasn't said that they are, that interconnected VoIP is a telecommunication service or an information service. Uh, But the FTC jumped in there and basically said Globex is, as an interconnected VoIP provider, is an information service. We have jurisdiction. And we are targeting them for basically facilitating these illegal robocalls. So the same basic theory as behind the DOJ's case. Exactly, yeah. exactly. That they were allegedly aware of what was going on and they were involved. And so that was a significant shot across the bow, if you will, by the FTC. Subsequent to that amended complaint against Globex, the FTC sent another shot across the bow. They sent out letters to 19 VoIP providers basically saying, you know, we're putting you on notice and you need to take a close look at what you're doing and what you may not be doing and to basically mitigate and help resolve this robocall problem. Now, they did not identify who those 19 VoIP providers are, but clearly that is a signal that the FTC will not hesitate to look at interconnected VoIP providers and their possible role in some of these robocall activities. Well, 
we will see how this all shakes out. But yes, there has certainly shall. been a, a shift in the uh, pace and attitude in, in enforcement by the government. Absolutely. So I think we've covered a lot of the big high points on the Trace Act and what the FCC and FTC and others have been doing. What do we see, guys, in 2020? I mean, what would you say, looking in your crystal ball, which is actually you know, not all that foggy right now because we have a statute that tells us, but what's going to happen in 2020? So first of all, there are going to be a lot of proceedings at the FCC to be on the lookout for in 2020. Some will have or have already been started even before Trace. So right now there's an open public notice from the FCC asking for information to go into its robocall report, and we're expecting that report coming out in the middle of the year. But then we'll also see proceedings starting this year on call blocking rules and on a call blocking safe harbor, and the deadline for those rules is the end of this year. So there's going to be a lot of activity, of course, that activity, again, has been ongoing even before Trace, but it's all going to, I think, come to a head this year. And then the other big thing to look at is the shake and stir mandate activity at the FCC. Again, they have until the end of this year to make those sufficiency determinations and then the middle of next uh, to come out with the mandates. And then I think you're also one of the items that is right out of the gate as a result of Trace, you will see the FCC issue an initial rulemaking regarding establishment of the Traceback Consortium and how that should be organized and what the criteria are for that. And then once they adopt those rules, they will issue a public notice saying who wants to be the Traceback Consortium. So, you know, that'll entail a whole nother process. And then to Kat's point, in addition to the to the various rulemakings that are going to be initiated by the Trace Act, you're also going to see a number of, you know, more and more reports coming out at the end of the year, status of the reassigned number database and reports on VoIP providers and things like that. One aspect of this that I think is easy to overlook in this discussion of all these technical issues and carrier activities is taking a step back and thinking if you're a regular American business that is not a telecommunications carrier, what of this situation do you need to be plugged into and aware of? I mean, how does this affect regular American companies and what should they be looking for? Right. Well, I think there's a couple of things in Trace that I think are relevant to those companies. And, you know, number one, the stir shaken piece in terms of authenticated numbers that's going to be important for enterprise callers, right? I mean, if they're making a call, they want to ensure that their numbers are receiving the highest possible level of attestation. So I think that's something that for the the call originators, enterprises, that's something they should be thinking about. There's one other, like, I think, interesting piece for those same companies is Section 10 of the Trace Act includes this provision on information sharing. And basically, the FCC needs to set up a mechanism whereby a, quote, private entity can share information with the FCC on illegal robocalling campaigns. And we can go back to our good friend Adrian Abramovich making these travel-related calls. It was Travelocity that brought that information to the FCC. They tracked Adrian Abramovich down and gave the FCC the information that ultimately led to that NAL and and forfeiture. So I think 
for those companies, they may want to be thinking about that. If they know that their brand is being illegitimately used or inappropriately used for ill intent, to the extent they can gather that information, there may be a framework that will enable them to pass that off to the FCC. I think it's a good example of how industry efforts can really sync up with government efforts to really get at the problem, right? Because, I mean, we've seen enterprise spoofing on the rise and brand management and other mitigation solutions come up through uh, the analytics providers and, and elsewhere in the marketplace. And so leveraging what's happening on that end for companies to actually protect their brands and, and make sure that they are not uh, associated with these illegal calls, that can help the FCC ultimately in what they're doing. And so bringing those two paths together, I think, is really important. And that provision that you talked about, Kevin, I think is a good start to it, at least. Yeah, and I think that's a great way to tie it, Kat. And, um, you know, especially as you look at this robocall issue, at the end of the day, voice providers, call originators, analytics companies, federal government, state government, everybody is generally rowing in the same direction. And I think, to your point, the more collaboration, the better. Yeah, and I think it also underlines the importance of the legitimate call originators doing their part to follow the rules, to have a good TCPA compliance program so that they can differentiate themselves from the bad guys. Um, I think one of the unfortunate consequences of this spike, a scourge, whatever word you want to use to talk about this problem we all see is it is eroding trust in the voice network as a method of communications. So when we see data, we might see that calls aren't going through or that there's problems. And part of that is a lot of consumers just aren't picking up their phone anymore because they're, they're tired of the scams or they're tired of the Rebecca from card services. And I think that's a problem. So I think if everyone's on the same page trying to clean up the neighborhood, so to speak, you'll see more confidence in the voice communication system. Another great point. Well, thank you for joining another episode of Widely Connected. Uh, we look forward to you joining our next podcast. Thank you very much.